When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, I'm back from vacation. I'm magically not sunburned all that bad. I don't know how this happened, um, but I, I'm I'm very excited that we have a, a very special guest on with us tonight. Um, you want to tell the people a little bit about him? I think I can handle that, Joey. We got Denzel <laughs> McCoy, former four-star defensive end, or I'm sorry, defensive tackle. Um a member of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets on the show with us, helping us break down not only Georgia Tech, but the ACC at large. So, Denzel, what's going on, man? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. Um, not as good as I was doing like 24 hours ago and I was on the beach, but, you know, <laughs> we can deal with that. Um, right now, doing as good as that. So. <laughs> yeah. So, Denzel, uh, you know, just kind of a brief intro to you. You know, you, you spent four or five years as a member of Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech team. Um, you, you were one of the even higher rated members of one of his highest, you know, uh, highest rated recruiting classes back in 2010, along with a lot of guys that people would remember from the orange bowl team, you know, Charles Perkins, Dion Hill, Tony Zen, and a lot of those guys, um, give us a little bit of, of background about yourself and kind of, uh, your experience there with the team over the few years that you were there. Yeah. So, uh, I came to tech, uh, four-star recruit, as mentioned, uh, chose tech over, you know, Notre Dame, Florida state, Alabama, all of those, um, Came in, had a, you know, pretty insignificant occurrence where I uh, was told after we had physicals that I was, um, you know, had a heart ailment that was going to stop me from being able to play for the foreseeable future. So um, that kind of shifted my focus and my energy when I got on campus to helping bring talent into the school and just being a good person overall to the program. I had a good time to uh, learn a lot of things under Coach Johnson. And I look back on it every day and say Georgia Tech was the right decision for me, for my family, for myself. You know, it's done good things for me growing into life. So I'm excited to talk with you guys about that experience, the ACC in totality, you know, just the big things happening with the program and the shift in momentum that's occurring right now. So really happy to be here with you guys. Well, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's, it's, it's always good to have former player perspectives on here. Um, you're actually the third former Georgia Tech player that we've had on the program after uh, we've had Sean Bedford a couple of times. We've also had Roddy Jones once. Two great um, guys, man. Two great guys. I'm in good company, I feel like. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's they, They've both been great to us, given a lot of uh, great perspectives and, and been very generous with their time. So thanks for coming on. Okay. Um, we we have a few general news items we need to hit on here uh, in the offseason that's kind of come up since our last show. Um, Mike, the biggest thing I think that's dropped in that time, and, and honestly, what I think could turn into, the, honestly, the biggest news item as it relates to the ACC this offseason we got a bit of an update in bowl tie-ins here um, that has been announced. It was dropped by Brett McMurphy here over the past week or so. Um, the ACC adding a formal holiday bowl tie-in starting in 2020 with a, an annual bowl matchup in San Diego against the Pac-12. 
Uh, and then further adding kind of an informal temporary from time to time kind of uh, matchup with uh, taking the SEC spot in the Outback Bowl potentially. We've talked a lot about bowl tie-ins as it relates to the conference here, Mike. What What is your initial reaction to this kind of this drop? Damn, man. San Diego and Tampa? Bummer. <laughs> Bummer. You okay putting like, that up against Detroit and Shreveport and El Paso? Yeah, I know. No kidding. Like, get, <laughs> get me as far away from the Sun Bowl as possible and send me straight to San Diego. Inject that in my veins. Um, yeah, this is phenomenal news for the conference because we were talking about like the Independence Bowl and, you know, the Belk Bowl has been, you know, one of the ACC's bigger bowl games. Um, and of course, the non New Year's Six. Uh, of the non-New Year's Six variety. And now we're talking about some really, really nice spots here. Holiday Bowl is obviously a really fun bowl game every year. Um, being able to have ACC representatives in the Outback Bowl, I think, is a big deal because of the number of ACC schools we have in uh, the southeastern region of the United States and in the state of Florida. So I think that's a big deal as well. I, I think this is, you know, uh, you can't really say anything bad about this. I think like you mentioned, this is probably the biggest piece of news this offseason for sure for the ACC. Denzel is a former player and a guy who went to bowl games with the team. I mean, I, I'm i not going to put you in a place to kind of complain about the places that you went to, but, you know, hearing about going to places like Tampa and San Diego, how does that compare to the places that you uh, you actually went with the guys? Ah, beautiful. It's uh, <laughs> it's like saying, uh, you know, Montgomery, Alabama versus Los Angeles. Tell me where you'd rather live. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I uh, no, I had to look. I had to, you know, was fortunate to go to Shreveport, um, El Paso twice, and Nashville. And I would say, out of all of them, Nashville was by far the best experience from a not just the bowl experience, but you know, I think it's great for the guys after you know season being twelve game season. You know, you work so hard to get six wins, you, you want to win them all, but to get six wins, you know, uh, to go to a place like uh, Tampa or San Diego, potentially. Yes. Beautiful news. <laughs> Great. Jealous. If anything, I'm jealous. <laughs> That's one of the things that we we've talked quite a bit about is the fact that a lot of the ACC's bowl tie-ins have been kind of outside of the footprint of the conference. Right. So again, we mentioned Shreveport, we mentioned El Paso, we mentioned Detroit, a lot of bowl games that don't really match up all that well with the conference's geographic footprint. Did, I mean, does that make a difference to you, to your family, kind of having to travel a little more to get to those games? It does, man. It, it makes a big difference. It's hard also because a lot of the time bowl games fall on major holidays like Christmas or New Year's. So mm -hmm. um, I remember my freshman year, we went to Shreveport, and that was my first time really being away from the family um, for holidays, you know. 18 years of my life spent with my parents, my grandparents, aunts, uncles, immediate family, non-immediate family. And um, to say, hey, we're going to Shreveport, you know, um, <laughs> most reactions are, where is that? <laughs> so um, that's a good way to kick off the next four to five years of your life um, in that time of the year. So um, it's crazy. You know, I can remember not even just the bowl experience, but Thanksgiving every year playing UGA that weekend, um, getting used to not having Thanksgiving with family and graduating and, and remembering what that feels like. So um, it makes it easier to be in, in, in a much more sunny and uh holistically life-enhancing place like a San Diego or a Tampa or an El Paso. So it's easier to get family on board going to going to San Diego or Tampa. Exactly. Shreveport. It doesn't come with what's in Shreveport, you know. So hey, love Shreveport, great place, had a good time there. But uh 
not a place I'd book a flight to for travel outside of work right now. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Understood. Understood. I, I sit here and I think to myself, actually, I, you know, been a, a big Georgia Tech fan for over a decade now, you know, really as far as I can remember following college football. And I've never been to a Georgia Tech bowl game. Man, you should like, go. Man. I'll tell you, the fan base can actually travel well, depending on. I know uh, in Detroit this past year, I heard, you know, I heard some ramblings around good, uh, you know, good travel for the bowl game. And that also matters when you're selected for a bowl game. You know, that can make the difference of being in Detroit versus being in call it a uh, in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte. You know, just it it varies how you travel, you know, um, wins, how the fan base travels. Tickets have to get purchased ultimately. So that all matters. So it's not just the players that have contributions, but the fans also, you know, Tech has such a strong fan base. It's good to see, you know, the increase in the interaction with the fan base with the new coaches on board as well. So. Right. Well, totally. And, and that's, you know, to me growing up in, in Gwinnett County, right. Like yep. it, it proximity is a big issue. You know, the, the closest bowl game that we could play in is Nashville four hours, you know, four hours away. It's like, exactly. It kind of just changes the dynamic, especially like you mentioned around the holidays, you got family going around and, and, you know, maybe we're leaving here to visit. 15 family members to come to El Paso or Shreveport when they're all in the Southeastern hemisphere, you know, so uh, it's hard. Exactly. Exactly. So obviously, you know, some pretty good news for the ACC there. I, I, at the very least, I am relieved to see a little bit of attention being paid to, you know, the, the bowl tie-ins as they uh, as, as they are currently standing because I, I think there is continued opportunity for improvement, we will say. They, they listen to our podcast, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the world-famous basketball world famous. podcast. Yep. <laughs> Let's move on, guys. The uh, I think the next biggest piece of news that's probably dropped, is, at least as it relates to a lot of the uh, interests of our fan base since we've last recorded, uh, news came out of Georgia Tech that they will be playing game uh, one game per year from 2020 through 2024 at the nearby Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Uh, 2020, playing Notre Dame in November. Uh, 2022, playing against Clemson. Uh, that'll be in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. 2024, playing against Notre Dame again. And then in 21 and 23, those opponents are TBA. And those are going to be uh, conference games, most likely. There was, I think, a little bit of mixed reaction from the fan base, depending on how you kind of take this. There was a lot of uh, back and forth on, well, it, it helps financially, and it's cool to play in a big stadium, but also, like, are we sure that the Georgia Tech fan base can sell out this stadium or will it just invite in more away team fans, that kind of thing? Um, Denzel is a guy who would have been on the field and, and kind of experienced this yourself and, and especially would have seen this kind of from a recruiting standpoint. Like what you know, when you see this as, a, as either a high school guy or even a guy that will be on the team, you know, like what is, do you do you get hyped up by this or you get kind of nervous of like we're going to be outnumbered by other teams fans or kind of what's your perception there? I mean, as a player and both as a fan now, um, you got to love an opportunity like that to have, you know, a commitment for four years to be able to play in the Dome, brand new Dome, playing top-notch teams like Notre Dame. You know, I'm not sure who – I think Notre Dame and Louisville was other teams that were scheduled. I'm not sure. Uh, Notre Dame and Clemson so far. Notre Dame and Clemson. So I know Clemson's this year with the ACC kickoff, Notre Dame. Really looking forward to it, man. As a guy, you know, um, it really helps the program overall from a recruiting perspective both and bringing a new energy to the team. You know, I don't think it's something that was done in Paul's 10 plus year tenure at the school. So I think it's an opportunity to segue new things into recruiting to really, you know, bring new energy to the program. I know as a player, you know, you look forward to it just in the essence of you're playing in a professional football team's facility. So, you know, you're already treated well as a division one athlete, but to be able to play in a place that complements that outside of Bobby Dodd, to know that's there within five miles from the campus. It's going to be, it's going to be a great experience for the guys. I'm looking forward to it. 
I think I, so. you know that um you know our fan base you know will show up you know it's it's kind of hard not to show up in our backyard you know yes it, it hurts when you see us play a home game against a UGA or a Clemson and it's forty five percent blue and gold and then <laughs> fifty plus percent orange or red and black so um you know but I think that's a lot a lot of that's about to change I know Coach Collins and his staff are really honed in on how they can really turn that around things like that around you know so I'm really excited for it as a player and as as a former player and fan. Mike, I was going to ask you, yeah, about if if Virginia Tech were to sign up once a year to go play at FedEx Field, you know, in nearby DC, like even if even if that were like a ten minute drive from Blacksburg, like is that is that a big deal to you? Is that good? Is it bad? I mean, what's your take? FedEx Field is such trash. Oh my god, <laughs> such trash. So Tech opened up the year against West Virginia. Uh, it'll be two years ago this fall. Um, yeah. They played that Labor Day night game at FedEx, and I was there. And FedEx Field is about, um, I'd say, about five hours from Blacksburg. And you know, as, as you guys both, as you guys both know, you know, a large amount of the DMV, you know, DC, Maryland, and Virginia, you know, it's it's a lot of Virginia Tech alums. So. Um, the Hokies do pretty well at, at selling out FedEx field when they play there. Um, I mean, from that perspective, from, from an outsider's perspective, looking at the Georgia tech situation, I think this is great exposure. Um, Georgia tech's going to be playing early in the season. In most cases, I, I know that they have a couple of November games scheduled in there, Joey, but you know, Chick-fil-A kickoff game, you're playing in national TV games, um, early in the year. I mean, how excited! I mean, think about how excited we are as college football fans for the start of the season. I mean, we're trying to take in every single game. I mean, we're watching games on Tuesday and Wednesday nights at the beginning of the year because it's week one, right? Mm-hmm. And you're getting all eyes on the Georgia Tech program. And I think this is huge for Jeff Collins too, because since Jeff Collins has gotten there over the last few months, it's been all about, you know, getting the program exposure, right? And um, pushing the school and, and, you know, the marketing aspects of the football program, that's been a huge deal. So I think from that perspective, this is a net win for Georgia Tech. I get the concern about, you know, the fans and, you know, you don't want a lot of away, away fans in the stadium that's, you know, so close to Georgia Tech's campus. But at the same time, like this is you're, you're playing in a professional environment, like Denzel mentioned, the players are going to get really excited for it. I think it's good for recruiting. I think you can sell that. Um, you, you know, the fact that you are playing on national TV, you're, um, you know, you're going to have that opportunity throughout the year playing in the ACC anyway, but um, there aren't that many programs to get an opportunity to have kind of all eyes on you in the season kickoff game, right? And that's going to be the case in a few of these games here for uh, for Georgia Tech. So I think it, it's a net win for the program for sure. I think the biggest thing that I maybe makes me nervous. I think there's a, a real opportunity there that we'll see some improvement here in the, in the immediate future is just making sure that those games don't turn into blowouts. You know, when all eyes are on you, you just want to make sure you don't get killed. Right. And, exactly. and I know, think the Tennessee game was a great example of that. As yeah. Yes. That, that was, it, it, you know, and it, even though Georgia tech didn't win that game, I mean, you right. went into overtime against an sec team and, and, Ran up 600 plus yards of offense against them. I mean, the whole it was it was a really great performance and a loss for what it's worth. You know, and that kind of thing, I can totally live with that. When you're under, you know, under the bright lights like that, um, it's just making sure it's it's not getting rolled in the way that Clemson has been rolling basically every other program in the ACC for three years now. You know, um, so we'll we'll have to see. I, I have some faith in Coach Collins though to kind of get some get some more talent on the roster or get some more. Um, 
I, I guess that's probably more it. You know, guys that match up maybe a little better with with the Clemsons of the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's not easy to do that, but it's something that can be done. Given I much rather be in Atlanta, Georgia, as a five star recruit versus uh, Clemson, South Carolina. So, <laughs> so I think uh, I think that the book's being written the uh, correct way right now. Well, it's like you said. I mean, once upon a time, you picked Georgia Tech over Alabama, Notre Dame, some of those. I mean, there's there's probably a good reason for that. Absolutely. So. We'll uh, we'll have to keep keep an eye on that. Again, it's a little over a year before that comes into effect. It's 2020 that Georgia Tech starts playing there, and in fact, the first game will be November 14th, 2020. So a little later in the year when Notre Dame comes to town, um, but should be a a fun little series of games. I was going to mention too. That's this isn't like a totally unprecedented thing among college football programs either. Uh, Arkansas plays one or two games a year, I believe, in Little Rock, um, plus a game every year against Texas A&M gets played in Jerry World and. Um, there's a there's a few of those where a, a team will play in a, a bigger town, you know, from where they're from, or will play in a pro stadium nearby once a year, that kind of thing. So, not totally uh, not totally unheard of. As well. right. um, let's move on, guys, real quick. Wanted to bring up this is some later breaking news. I think it came out earlier today. This is a Sunday, the tenth that we record. Uh, Florida State, their quarterback situation been a little bit dicey uh, over the past few months in terms of both recruiting and then retaining the current depth chart. DeAndre Francois kicked off the team, uh, had a, a quarterback committed there. Uh, Sam Howell, he flips on signing day to North Carolina. They have like two scholarship quarterbacks left over, and we're not really sure where they're going with it. Well, they've added a grad transfer, none, none other than Mr. Alex Hornibrook from Wisconsin. Uh, Mike, I have one question for you. Are you horny for Hornibrook? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No? Why not? I don't get I don't get this at all. <laughs> I, I don't understand this at all. I understand uh, I understand the joke. Let's back up. I completely understand the joke. Um also you you look at like Florida football, like the state of Florida uh in general for college football right now, like none of them can get a competent quarterback except for University of Central Florida with you know Mackenzie Milton and before he shattered his leg. Um Florida, they got Felipe Franks. He's fine. Um, Miami, it's total crapshoot. If Tate Martell is eligible, it'll probably be him. Um, but lately, it's been Malik Rozier, and that's been terrible. Uh, Florida State, they had Francois, and then their offensive line was garbage. Then Francois hurt himself. Then he came back. Then he got into legal trouble. Now he's gone. You got James Blackman. Now you get Alex Hornibrook. I don't really know how Hornibrook fits, fits the system at all. It, this is strange for me. I'm not really sure how this how this plays. Um, plus, Hornybrook is probably going to be able to play Wisconsin this year. I just I, I don't get this at all. I think Wisconsin had recruited like a hot shot five star. Yes, they did. And, you know, I just got to tell you, if you're a three year starter and you're feeling threatened by the hot shot freshman, there. I feel like a hotshot freshman coming into Wisconsin to play quarterback is only ever going to be so good, and it kind of says something if you're nervous about him. Also, real quick, I'm not sure like how excited the Florida State fan base is going to get over Alex Hornibrook. Like, how juiced are you going to be for this game manager quarterback? Granted, he's played well in the past at Wisconsin, and we've seen good Alex Hornibrook, and we've seen really bad Alex Hornibrook. So you can only be well, horny for Hornibrook. <laughs> a couple times a year, really. So that's something that the Florida State fan base really won't be all that excited about, I don't think. Denzel, one year of eligibility for Hornybrook at Florida State. Does that make the Knowles any better? 
<laughs> man, if he can get the starting job, I wish the best for him, man. Let's put it that way. Hey, shout out to Jordan Travis, man. A good, he's mm-hmm. of a good friend of mine. Um, one of his old teammates played with the Blue Jays with his older brother, uh, Devin Travis. So I'm wishing oh, yeah. him as well. So I, I'll tell you, Jordan Travis, he came in there at the end of the Georgia Tech Louisville game. I was I was in attendance for that game. They moved the ball better the entire, you know, with him playing quarterback in the fourth quarter than they did the entire game before that. Um, I kind of couldn't believe that Louisville let him get away. Crazy, um, man. He looks like a pretty talented kid, so he he could uh, he could make some difference down there in, in Tallahassee, I think. Absolutely. Not against Georgia Tech. Everyone else, he can do it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, yeah, you know, and one of the things I was going to bring up here too is that, the, like, Hornibrook joining at Florida State, like, I'm going to be honest, I don't know that quarterback is really Florida State's biggest issue. Like, at least quarterback talent and capability. They can't protect their quarterback. Offensive line, yeah. And they can't block for their running backs. And, and the offensive line is going to be their biggest problem until it, it gets solved. Um, Important piece. It's a total disaster. Um, so, I, I mean, it's something. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he didn't start. You know, and Maybe they had to promise him the starting job or something to get him to come there as a grad transfer. But right. other than that, I, just on ability, like I'm not so sure that he's any better than James Blackman, Jordan Travis, any of those guys. No way. It's going to be an uh, it's going to be an interesting competition to keep an eye on for sure. Yep. He's going to have to run. He's going to have to run for his life too, and I'm not really sure that's in his arsenal. Like, <laughs> I mean, that, because... <laughs> yeah, I just don't see. I mean, the offensive line's been so bad for Florida State, like like we you know we mentioned here, and I just don't see Alex Hornibrook being able to avoid the pressure any better than I don't know James Blackman, who really is a bona fide pocket passer. So it's right. going to be rough. Mike, I have bad news. Oh boy. <sighs> If you had to guess, over under negative one hundred career rushing yards for Alex Hornibrook. Oh, <laughs> no, no, is it under? It's under. Oh no! I think it's under two negative two hundred rushing yards in his career. Guys, taking blindside hits like he's drinking water. Man, two thousand yeah, Wisconsin Wisconsin recruits some men on the offensive line, and mm-hmm. we see those rushing stats being. Very, very, very poor. Imagine now playing behind a completely incompetent offensive line. Hornybrook on block form. Hornybrook had career best negative sixty one rushing yards in two thousand eighteen. Career best. I'm career best. He has one one career game with positive rushing yards. He had two rushing yards against Northwestern his freshman year. That was his only. Uh, that was his only positive gain from a uh, you know from a rushing standpoint. So good on you, Alex Hornibrook. Um, it means that he's literally a statue in the pocket. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, one other thing I wanted to bring up here, Mike, before we move on, and, and just total you know spur of the moment thought that I had, not because I'm trying to provoke anybody. Certainly, I, I would not try to do that. That doesn't sound like you. Would you? Would you say bigger positive impact? Alex Hornibrook at Florida State or Tathan Martell at Miami? Oh, man. This is uh... – <laughs> Like I said, not trying to provoke anybody or anything like that. No, we, we wouldn't want to do that. Um, I'm going to go with Hornibrook because he's not perceived to be a complete and total jackass. <laughs> but we wouldn't want to provoke anybody. It's not not my thing. I think this is a good Definitely not Miami fans. You know how much I love them. <laughs> 
I think there's a good chance Hornerville could be the best backup quarterback in the ACC. That's a pretty big impact, oh, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Goodness. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, if I feel like if Martell were a little bit more of a known quantity, I would feel a little bit better about it. But I mean, at that point, you're just totally just like a toss up with him. I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you can get the offensive line fixed at Florida State, you could create a running game and you could kind of squint and turn your head sideways and see like some degree of what he had at Wisconsin with maybe more talented skill guys. Hey, I don't know. Help, me, help I mean, me out here. Help me out. <laughs> I mean, I know Miami. Miami saw him up close and personal in the mm-hmm. uh, last two bowl games. Got beat both of them. Yeah. Maybe so. that's the strategy. That's that's what this is. Willie Taggart's just trying to beat Miami, and he knows Hornybrook is the guy. <laughs> He's the guy to do it. He's the that's guy it. to get it done. Hey, it's all about that in-state recruiting, right? So you get Hornybrook, you, you beat Miami, and – All's well, man. You get some of those in-state recruits, and you're back on the right track. You still don't have a good offensive line, but you're on the right track. Man, what what a day. All right. So Alex Hornibrook headed into uh, Tallahassee to take on uh, Miami and maybe nobody else. So maybe that helps. We'll see. Uh, Florida State got a bit of a hole to dig out of. Uh, oh, yeah. Mike, let's move on here. Um, we've got one more other uh, kind of quarterback-related update to give here. Um, North Carolina. So obviously coaching change here, Mac Brown taking over as head coach, um, bringing in, uh, all oh, the guy from Ole Miss, Phil Longo, uh, yeah. bringing in Phil Longo as offensive coordinator. So there's probably gonna be a little bit of a scheme change, but it didn't seem like offense was really always that much of a problem with North Carolina, you know, over under Larry Fedora. So, uh, for what that's worth, but, um, a little bit of a change in the guard with the North Carolina quarterback room here. Uh, Nathan Elliott, he had one season of eligibility remaining, and I use the word had there because he has elected to forego that eligibility and take a grad assistant role at Arkansas State. This is the guy who says, you know what, I am not going to be a professional quarterback, but I could be a coach. So let's get that rolling right now. You know what we call that, Mike? Self-awareness. Oh, okay. Self-awareness. I was waiting for the response. I was like, what do we call that, Joey? Yeah. Nathan Elliott, not going to be a pro quarterback. Yes. Uh, So just just own it. Um, Yes, that's a smart career move. Yeah. So interesting there, but not. it doesn't just stop there. We also had news that also a North Carolina quarterback, Chad Surratt, he's moving to linebacker. Business Um, decision. 6'3", 215. He moves pretty well, and that's the best thing I can say about him as a quarterback, which means he probably – does fit better at linebacker, frankly. I feel like Mac Brown honestly just came in um, and just said, you know what? Look, there was one way you guys did under Larry Fedora in the last two years. That way did not work. So, hey, Nathan Elliott, you should go coach. Um, Chasterat, stop playing quarterback, go play linebacker. Uh, and then we'll just see what happens in the quarterback room. I mean, the quarterback room was a total mess in North Carolina anyway last few years. Because you know what? They were never prepared for Trubisky to leave. That was the problem. I mean, he left. They were expecting him to have two full years of quarterback. They didn't recruit well behind him. It's been a total mess. And that's what got Larry Fedora fired. More or less, yeah. That and total just defensive incapability since uh, Gene Chizik left. Just trying to simplify it as much as possible. (laughs) If you had to have the Spark Notes version, they literally couldn't play quarterback and couldn't stop anything. Yep, yep. 
So at this point, the North Carolina quarterback room, uh, you got a true freshman, Sam Howell, and you got a couple of other returning freshmen. I think, I think Reuter may have uh, redshirted, but you got Cade Fortin and Jace Reuter. Denzel, if you're a, uh, if you're a defensive tackle lining up across from a pretty much true freshman quarterback, are you looking your chops for 60 minutes or Lord, I'm having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are shifting the front and just yeah. messing with him. He can't call the protection. And I'm hoping the court, the DC lets me call out a shift or two so I can let the quarterback know I'm in his head. So. <laughs> <laughs> Man. I, yeah, it's going to be interesting here. I mean, Sam Howell, pretty talented kid. I, I don't think it's a lack of talent here in North Carolina moving forward. It, it's just an issue of kind of getting them, getting them organized and making sure that they're familiar with what they need to be doing. Absolutely. I mean, Fedora was still recruiting well, even when their team was trash the last few years. I mean, he was still, still doing all right on the recruiting trail, still pulling in guys that he would normally get. Now Virginia tech had a bunch of success in North Carolina the last couple of years. I think that, you know, a couple, you know, a couple of guys from, who would have ordinarily gone to Chapel Hill might have swung in Virginia tech's direction. But other than that, I mean, Larry Fedora still recruited well. He did, man. Well, and I mean, to say that North Carolina just went through a coaching change and still finished at North Carolina, a basketball first school, mind you, finished with a top 30 recruiting class in a coaching change year. I mean, that's pretty promising, you got to say. Between the work that Larry Fedora was doing and then what Mac Brown was able to step in and do in a, a month and a half or so there at the end. UNC has a Pro Bowl quarterback, man. You got to say it. So <laughs> Trubisky didn't make the Pro Bowl, I think. So it's yeah. crazy. You know, I think he was a Fedora guy, so to let you know. It's there, they just got to put it together. Yep, that's going to take a lot of getting used to for me. <laughs> <laughs> I could not believe that there was an ACC. That's pretty funny too. I couldn't believe there was an ACC quarterback that got drafted number two overall, and it wasn't Deshaun Watson. Unreal. Yeah, yeah, we had our qualms about Trubisky too coming out. Joey and I were like, "Yeah, hey, Chicago, are you sure?" <laughs> Are you really sure? <laughs> Are you really sure? <laughs> I think they traded up to do that, too. It's worked, worked out all right. I'm pretty sure they traded up. Yeah, you're right, actually. Interesting. All right. Um, yeah, so interesting times in the quarterback situations in the ACC between Florida State and UNC. Um, but I, I think it's fair to say, too, though, is you've seen a kind of a, a bit of a down ACC the last couple of years. It's probably been directly tied to quarterback play. We've talked about a lot about how in 2016 – arguably the best conference in the country. And it was just, it was a boatload of really good quarterback play. And then all of a sudden it, it's kind of falling apart. So getting some fresh blood might not be the worst thing. Absolutely. All right, let's move on here. Uh, we got a, a, a good listener email here from Mr. Keith Derrick, uh, Georgia tech fan. He wrote in, this is again, I think this is a couple hours after the uh, Mercedes Benz stadium announcement for Georgia tech. So maybe a little bit, of, a little bit of a hype here, you know, for him, but he wrote in, and I thought it was a pretty interesting kind of question to, to talk about. Just thinking about this after Georgia Tech announces that they're playing five home games in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in the next five years. Question, who has more momentum heading into the 2019 season in the ACC? And he kind of listed the case for several of these teams. I'm going to le- uh, read you a few of them. Number one, this is an easy answer. Clemson coming off the national championship. It's probably a pretty good start. Um, so consider that. Uh, North Carolina, new coach with a strong recruiting class. Uh, Georgia Tech, new coach, new culture, a lot of uh, a lot of hype and a lot of um, you know just a lot of positive you know momentum and, and news around the program. Uh, Virginia had a good season last year, and he says, but fell on your face at the end of the year. Probably not. Need more info on this program. I think that's fair, but I'm I'm exceptionally intrigued at, 
Virginia going into 2019. I'll say that. Um, Miami, Manny, Manny, Manny. He will turn that ship around, but it'll be three to four years before that happens. I, I think some Miami fans have something to say about that. Uh, Florida State still trying to decide if the coach is actually a coach or just a really good Halloween costume. That's <laughs> interesting. That's a take. Damn. Uh, Syracuse, y'all just need to work on basketball. I think that's I think that's a good thing because it means that they're good at football, which I would agree. Now, with now a football school. Yeah, now a football school. <laughs> yeah, noted football up on Clemson and they're going into the fourth quarter this year. Absolutely. Yep. Um. Okay, so you know, you take those. There's there's other schools that he mentioned as well. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this off to you guys. I mean, schools that have the most momentum in the ACC currently, you know, a couple months into the offseason. What what are our what are our thoughts here? Well, I, I think you look at it from, you know, you take that question. You look at it from, you know, two different standpoints, right? You look at it from the standpoint of, you know, which teams got the most momentum as far as on-field success. The answer is Clemson, right? They win the national in convincing fashion against, you know, the best coach of all time, Nick Saban, bar none, right? Made him look silly. And I mean, made him look silly to the point where like Dabo Swinney is now like the guy who consistently beats Nick Saban, right? Like he's he's got it done in the big on the biggest stage more often than not. Um so you look at it from the standpoint of on field success, but then you look at the other side of it and you can say, okay, well it's momentum from the standpoint of like who I think can make the biggest jump. Right. And which which hire or which change could spur, you know, the biggest advantage heading into next season. So then from that standpoint, you look at Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech, you look at Mac Brown at North Carolina. I know a lot of you, you know, Mac Brown has his naysayers. But when you think about it, like the recruiting class finished very strongly. Um, obviously, he was able to keep the top end talent that Larry Fedora recruited for the most part and was able to still pull in a few guys at the end of the recruiting cycle, which is extremely advantageous to North Carolina with the coaching change still have a top 30 class, like you mentioned, Joey. Uh, so you can look at it from the standpoint of, of those types of schools where, you know, you had a coaching change and, you know, now you're on the up and up and um, Jeff Collins obviously has some strong momentum on the recruiting trail as well. And the guys he's hired to his coaching staff and, you know, the exposure that he's bringing to the program. So you got to look at that question from two different ways. But, I, you know, I, it's really hard to compete with a team that in Clemson that just won the national championship, did in really convincing fashion, finished year 15-0. and 0. As dominant a performance as I've seen in the college football playoff, you know, since its inception, um, whatever it was, five, you know, four or five years ago, um, I mean, they were dominant all year long. And, and for them to finish year 15-0, and 0, to win the national championship, to do it with a freshman quarterback, to have that guy returning into the fold in 2019 and have him be the odds on Heisman favorite. You know, you got him and Tua going head to head again. Um, it's really hard not to point to Clemson if, if you're looking at it from the on field success standpoint. Denzel, who you got? Man, I'm going to take my jackets all day, of course. Jeff Collins, man, uh, I, my first interaction with him was at, when he was at UCF. Um, UCF was a school, to be honest, I knew nothing about when I was being recruited. And then uh, Coach Key and Coach Collins took over the helm of my recruiting process, and I, they got me on campus. So I want to go with Georgia Tech, obviously, from um, a total package perspective. I'm excited. Um, Rebrand, you know, Adidas sponsorship, I mean, the whole nine. It's all there to uh, shift the culture and bring it in a direction I think the fan base, the former players, and the current players deserve and have wanted to see. With all respect to Coach Johnson, we, you know, leading the nation in rushing 
um, doing great things there, building great men. But um, Coach Collins is going to do something great. And then my number two is going to be Transfer Portal U. Miami. You know, living down here now, seeing the energy around the town with Diaz being at the helm, I think it's going to be special. You know, it's, dad used to be the mayor in Miami. Um, you know, he's bringing energy to the program the guys want. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what he can do. You know, I think he and Coach Collins going up from a new coach perspective versus Dabo Sweeney having things established as the front runner in the ACC right now, maybe in the country, actually. Um, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, you have that new we want to beat you target on Clemson um, that Alabama's carried for so long. So I think that's going to be really cool to see, you know, what these three programs can bring to the table. You know, we talk about quarterback competitions you know, at least on my end of things, we still don't know who the quarterback's going to be on the flats next year. So um, I think that's something exciting to keep an eye on. Um, Tate Martell, yeah, we don't know what his eligibility looks like. That's something interesting to keep an eye on with, you know, Fields going to Ohio State, getting granted immediate eligibility. And now Martell going to Miami where things are kind of, you know, the water's mucky. So we'll see what can happen there. But, um, you know, I'm just excited, man, to see what's going to happen to Tech ultimately, you know, have my own eye on, you know, as I live here now in Miami on seeing what that program turns into. And then, you know, obviously Clemson, man, you know, playing them first game, you know, I'm excited if we can keep up with them. So, you know, I'm going for a win, but, you know, just to see where these three programs are, I think that's, you know, top heavy momentum right now. By the way, Mike, take note with, with Denzel, we now have a second correspondent in Miami. Shout out Cam Underwood. Yeah, <laughs> we, do. we do. We got two correspondents in Miami. I like it. I like we should, it. We should try to get both of them on at the same time and see how that turns out. That'd be it. Hell yeah. That'd Hell yeah. Let's do it. I'd be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, Denzel, as you talk, it, it made me think that from the time that we started the show, not quite three years ago, I feel like, and Mike, correct me if I'm wrong, if I'm a little too close to the situation, but like of all the programs in the ACC from three years ago to now, I have to think Georgia Tech kind of feels the most different or changed. And I think it's, it's, Yes, Coach Collins is a part of it, but I think a lot of it goes back to the AD change as well. A couple of years ago, hiring Todd Stansberry has brought a lot of fresh ideas and emphasis on, and it just it feels like this is a pretty drastically different program and athletic department in general than it was like three years ago. It's the only of the uh, sports programs. So agree. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I, I'd say the only other school I first of all, I agree, but the only other school that I think you could point to with like the possibility um, of having the same sort of momentum and kind of difference um, in program perception, I think it would be Syracuse uh, with kind mm -hmm. of everything that's gone on with Dino Babers, right? So he's first hired. They're a really, really poor program. And, you know, from the Scott Schaefer days where they were at, you know, at their best, they were winning five, five, maybe six games a year. Or they were trying to push that mark. And now you have a 10 win season at Syracuse this past year, um, it's third year with the program. So I, I think mm -hmm. that's the only other school I can think of where like perception has totally changed from recruiting to um, on field performance to, you know, feelings about the coaching staff, the feeling of the fan base. I mean, I think that's the only other school in the ACC right now you can point to and just look at on-field perception being completely different. Because even with schools like Florida State and Miami, they've kind of been up and down. Um, Virginia Tech as well, that, you know, they, they've been kind of up and down the last few years. Program perception kind of remained 
at, at a high insofar as like expectations were still high around those three programs heading into each individual season. The fact that expectations were low at Syracuse, now we're looking at Syracuse as a completely different team, a player in the Atlantic Division, you know, a really strong program in the ACC. That was not the case a few years ago. And um, I, I completely agree with you guys from the Georgia Tech perspective. But if there was one other school, it would be Syracuse. I'm glad you mentioned that because that was the the school that I was going to go to as well. That I think as you talk about, all right, I'm going to just brace yourself here. I'm going to have the about the nerdiest moment I've ever had on this show in about three here years. Here we go. Come from the engineering background. Look, just it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Just give it a second. Uh, if momentum is mass times velocity, you're going to have a hard time finding it bigger than Clemson, right? It's a big program. It's moving fast. They're winning a national title. It's nobody getting the way of Clemson, right? Like that's that's it for momentum. But if you want to talk about straight up force in terms of mass times acceleration, I don't know that Clemson's really accelerating. I think they're kind of maintaining an, you know, a good velocity there, but it's not really changing. I think Syracuse you look at as a as force, you know, as they are accelerating and they're they're getting faster and getting better. Um, I, I agree that that's that's the one that I would say maybe to some degree can be up there in terms of momentum is coming off a strong season. Um, continuing to have you know some pretty high expectations i think you get one one to two more years of eight to nine wins there with dino babers and i think he's he's in heavy contention for much bigger much bigger jobs and i say much bigger you know one of the things you think about is like okay sure other people can pay more than syracuse but is that like why exactly is that i mean syracuse their athletic department i mean they they can make some money especially off their basketball program i mean they have some pretty uh tight ties with nike up there i mean the whole thing so it's not necessarily that just anybody can trip and fall and find more money than Syracuse can, you know, but if, if a school like Tennessee were to come calling for Dino Babers, like Tennessee's going to be able to outbid them, you know, that, that kind of thing. Right. So um, it's, it's kind of a matter of who it is and where it is, but I think, I mean, he could definitely be in contention for some jobs where people can pay a little more than, than Syracuse can here in a, in a year or two, just depending on how this season goes. And get you a little bit more exposure as well, because even though we, they do play in the ACC, they are in the Atlantic Division. Like they're located in Syracuse, New York. I mm -hmm. mean, it's uh, you know, no, we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast. Like Syracuse is not a very easy place to recruit to. So, I mean, they are New York's official college football team, Mike. I, that's true. Which <laughs> I don't know how much water that holds, but enough for us. <laughs> enough for us to say it. Yeah, you know? for better or worse. For better yeah. or worse. All right. Um, yeah. So I think some, some good responses there. The uh, thanks. Thanks again to Keith Derrick for a, a very interesting question here at this time of the year. Um, several programs seem like they're building some momentum, even if they've stumbled a little bit in the past couple of years. So um, really interesting discussion there. Got a few more items here that we wanted to bring up while we're on. Um, number one, coming out of Pittsburgh, uh, we had an article that Pitt is, is really taking a step back. They are they are kind of reevaluating some things, and they are recommitting themselves to the uh, old school traditional pit color branding. Uh, Denzel, I don't know about you the uh, the old school blue and gold from Pittsburgh. You think that's a better look than their uh, their navy and gold that's been a little more a uh, little more modern? Man, I'll tell you honestly. You know, in today's age, I think vintage is the new current state. Um, so I think it's something that yeah, I mean. I think you all can both agree when VT comes out in that white helmet in the old uh, in the old uniforms, Thursday night football fans love it. Tech, the fans always, you know, fiend for the blue or the black uniforms. 
So I, it's not a bad idea. You know, Pitt's a football town, man. Um, having, I, I go there a lot. My best friend is the Steelers. So uh, to see that place and just to see what that town brings, the kind of energy they bring around sports, I think any kind of rebranding will be good for the program. So, uh, you know, Vince is just cool right now. So, yeah, you know, why not? <laughs> I like Pitt's uniform, like the old school yeah, vintage. Man baby blue or whatever whatever they're calling those jerseys with the script the script pit i, I think that's the way to go for sure days, um, man. absolutely yeah and, and i think that you know the heyday of the pittsburgh program was you know 20 30 years ago so i right. think we can add from that stand we can add from that standpoint like they need something positive here since James Conner left, right? Like they need right. something good to happen to their program. And I, I think <laughs> the, the rebrand for now, the rebrand for now is the way to do it. Yeah. James Conner and Aaron Donald are the, the staples of that program right now. And I haven't heard of anything else since then. So it, it's time for something. <laughs> and Nate, Nate Peterman still finds work in the NFL somehow. So I don't know. <laughs> it's amazing to me. It just now actually occurred to me that, Pitt is the only like meaningful sports team in that town that doesn't wear black and gold. So all they got to do is trade out the blue for the black and they can fit in with the Steelers, the Penguins and the Pirates. Like championship coming. <laughs> there you go. Pittsburgh noted town of champions, right? There you go. <laughs> um yeah, so good move Pittsburgh. Uh we like to see that. We will uh expect to see more of it. We'll see. Uh, let's move on. Wake Forest, uh, their AD Ron Wellman has been there for 27 years. He is retiring, being replaced by, uh, an athletic director by the name of Mr. John Curry. Now, if that name sticks out to you and, and rings a bell, there's a reason. Uh, he's a former Tennessee athletic director that led what, what would be hard to classify as a really organized and well thought out and, um, you know, appropriate head coaching search here a couple of years ago. So the concern I think that gets raised is we've talked about Dave Clawson being a potential candidate to get hired elsewhere here in the next couple of years. When that, if, and when that time comes, Wake Forest, John Curry's now leading your head coaching search. How do we feel about that? I thought that the mob killed John Curry. So I'm glad that he's <laughs> still alive. I'm glad he's that survived. he's still alive and well. Yeah. Uh, he survived the angry Tennessee mob that was coming after him. Um, good. That's good to hear. Um, I think John Curry's a good hire, honestly. Like, Tennessee, Tennessee's athletics department overall, short of this coaching search that was absolutely ridiculous. And I don't put this completely on him. I know that's crazy because he's the athletic director. I think he was scapegoated a little bit because um, – there were a lot of angry fans that were very anti Greg Schiano. He'll remember, but um, I, I think he was kind of unfairly scrutinized at some part during some parts of that coaching search. Um, but overall, I mean, I think Tennessee's athletic department as a whole, while he was there, was pretty well run. So, you know, short of the angry mob coming after him a couple of years ago with one of the most ridiculous coaching searches I've seen in in my lifetime, um, I, I think that. John Curry is absolutely the right guy for Wake Forest to hire. I think it's it's going to be a positive thing over the long run for their for their athletics department. I believe that. Denzel, if that guy were hired, you know, as as the AD of Georgia Tech, right? Knowing kind of where he came from a little bit, would is that something that would concern you? Are you good with that, or what's your thought there? Man, I uh, 
I, I'm wondering if he was at Tennessee when Kiffin was there because that was one of my top five schools. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't. Uh, I actually just now looked at his Wikipedia. He was only there for like nine months. So where did he go? Was it? I saw. I I remember hearing his name tied to Kansas State. If I'm correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but uh, man, I don't know, man. That's uh, <laughs> I think I'm okay on that one. <laughs> yeah, you leave it. You leave it. Yeah, they say commit to the school, not the coaches. But uh, when that's going on, it's above the coaches. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he had been at Kansas State for a little while, and he took over at Tennessee in February February 28th, 2017. Was dismissed December 1st, 2017. So he was not even there like. Yeah, you know, more than like eight, nine months there, and uh, that whole circus of coaches. He was fired on my birthday. I think I'm. It would have been a sign. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday! Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Oh man. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, who's to say that the second one will go as uh, poorly as the first one goes? But Wake Forest is another good opportunistic place. Good education, mm-hmm. right off the High Point, North Carolina. So, mm-hmm. country and so. a damn good football program now. Hey. Hey, Aaron Curry, don't forget him. He started the momentum at that program. Can never mm-hmm. forget that. Yep. I don't know if I remember him when he was in school, but gosh, the guy was an animal. I think it's the Seahawks took him first round, and then I'm not sure what happened after that. He was a hell of a linebacker up there, yeah. He was. I think he, uh, he actually played at the same high school my father played at prior to going to college to play, so I always mm-hmm. paid close attention to him. So the guy those, was an athlete, man. Those are our beloved Steeman Deeks. Yes. <clears throat> All right, uh, a couple more things here. Uh, going back to Florida State here real quick. Uh, Florida State had a uh, wide receivers coach and a recruiting coordinator named David Kelly. Uh, there was a waiver that they put in trying to move him off the field just to be in a total off-field coaching capacity, basically. To, um, it, hard to explain, but long story short, you know, kind of the, the capacity that he's allowed to coach the players and participate in recruiting – they wanted to kind of dial that back a little bit, and that waiver was denied. And as such, uh, Florida State's 10 assistant coaches will now include nine position coaches and one guy whose sole title is recruiting coordinator. Uh, plus, they'll have a wide receivers coach who is not allowed to do certain recruiting activities. Um, so, again, in in terms of his, you know, Willie Taggart running a really tightly run, you know, successful program at Tallahassee, Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know how I feel about this, honestly. It's kind of a weird spot for the program to be in, really. It is. It's a, it's a very weird spot for the NCAA to just come back and be like, yeah, no, you're not, not doing that. It's like, okay. They <laughs> said, no way, this is random, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, why are you even asking me this? No, yeah, why are you asking me this? No. <laughs> By the way, in, in, interesting fact. I don't know if you knew that. This is the first time since the Vietnam War that the NCAA has turned down a, a waiver of any sort. No, Jimbo Fisher definitely picked up the phone and said no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. God. So, yeah, more just interesting, unusual news coming out of Tallahassee, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Uh, last Always thing, is, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's all good until Florida State ends their 35-year bull streak. No even walk. The greatest <laughs> movie ever in Tallahassee, apparently. So. <laughs> Shade. Oof. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> all right. Last thing I got here. Uh, North Carolina debuted a new indoor practice practice facility, um, and it was a uh, just a little Twitter video. It was like 30 seconds, and 
first of all, I continue to be tickled every time that North Carolina features uh, their football program and as it relates to a, a sports apparel logo that features a basketball player because that is the most peak North Carolina thing I could think of. But um, – <laughs> Mike, I don't know if you saw this. There was a video they posted on Twitter that was kind of hyping the lights and such in the practice facility. And you know what song they were playing? Andrew Sandman, baby. Mm-hmm. How, how do you feel about that? Hey, man, Tech owns the state of North Carolina, so might as well <laughs> continue with their new practice facility. Been beating them in recruiting, been beating them on the field. Yeah, I don't I don't know if that's a, uh, you know, trying to throw shade or like an ode to your daddy kind of thing, but either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what they'd be throwing shade at at this point, but um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I'm going to vote with the O to your daddy. I like that better. <laughs> not a lot of shade to be able to be thrown there. Yeah. Um. All right. That's all I got. Anything else y'all wanted to hit on before we uh, head out of here? I think I'm good on my end. Good on my end as well, guys. Thanks for having me as I uh, called out, you know, to kick off things. So, uh, and go Jackets, man, guys. Yeah, it's exciting time to be around the program. So, you know, I do have a question for you guys, actually. Oh, bring it. I need the over-under on Tech wins this year. I need to hear the positivity for both VT and Georgia Tech, you know, giving the uh, ties back to each program on the show. I need to know what you guys are thinking. I need to know how you feel rather than how the folks feel. So Interesting. Mike, I'll let you start. Take it away, Mike. Mine. Yeah, I'll give mine for Virginia Tech first. If they don't win – I mean, their schedule is so unbelievably soft um, I, from the standpoint of, like, the non-conference schedule is complete garbage. Um, they have to – outside of Notre Dame, of course. <laughs> they got to go to South Bend. <laughs> they got to go to South Bend. That could get ugly. But um, I, I think uh, I think the over-under – from Vegas when, when it actually comes out will probably be like seven and a half. I think that's a pretty safe number. And I think Virginia Tech absolutely needs to win at least eight games to that schedule, which means you're losing to Notre Dame. Um, you know, you're probably losing three conference games, which, you know, I, I think given their schedule, like they probably shouldn't lose three conference games this year, just on paper looking at it, but they always find a way. So I think that seven and a half is is pretty safe because, you know, they could easily be eight and four, uh, assuming that they go to South Bend and lose that that one tough non-conference game they have. So I'm going to I'm going to go with a very early eight and four prediction because I, I do think the, the defense will be better. They had such you a go. young defense last year. They're, you know, SB Nation, you know, Bill Connolly from SB Nation, you know, does his S&P plus rankings. He's got. Virginia Tech's defense, their their first nationally returning production on the defensive side of the ball. So, wow. you know, they got everybody coming back, and they were so young last year. They, they weren't very good, but they were, in fact, they were historically bad for Bud Foster standards. I don't think that continues. I think it was kind of a perfect storm last year. So I think if the defense improves and, and gets back to even just slightly above average um, and, and the offense just continues at the pace that they're on, um, which wasn't – wasn't great, but it's it's better than what Virginia Tech had been putting out there under Scott Leffler when he was the coordinator under Beamer. I, there's no reason with that schedule to think Virginia Tech can't win eight games. I hear it. All right. In Atlanta, I'm looking at the schedule. If I had to set an over-under, I think you said it a little – maybe something like six wins. 
So I, this is just a really interesting year to be changing coaches because especially with the Coastal Division still largely being kind of in turmoil or being down a little bit, it's – I mean, a lot of the competition is not quite what it was, you know, a couple of years ago. Again, you talk about 2016, you know, teams like North Carolina, Miami, Pittsburgh were much more of a murderer's row than, than they are now. Right. So, so you're changing coaches. You're totally changing scheme, um, which is really going to be hard to handicap. Um I'm going to go six and six. I think that's, you know, really, if you make a bowl game year one under Coach Collins, I think that's a really good showing. That's a really strong showing. What so, did he do Temple in his first year? I, I, I mean, uh, last year, excuse me. At Temple? Uh, yeah, eight, and, eight and four? That's four what I was actually prediction this year. So, yeah. Yeah. He went eight and four. Uh, they lost the bowl game, but he he wasn't there at that point. A lot of, a lot of the staff was still there, but okay. um, he was not coaching the bowl game. I, I'm going to go six and six, if nothing else, for you know some emotional insurance. But um, I, I think they could they could push for a bowl game. I think that's that's really the target this year. And if you got that, that's a strong building block towards 2020, 2021. Absolutely. What, what's your thought? I'm seeing eight and four, man. I'm seeing eight and four simply with the mix of the young talent with the uh, established leaders in the program that are there right now. You know, guys like Lucas Johnson. Um, Excited for a guy like him. Excited for a guy like Wanya Thomas, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, incredible athletic ability, as we've seen on Twitter the last, you know, couple of weeks with the basketball program, what he's been doing there. Um, you know, also on the offensive side of the ball. You're going to have a lot of people in new positions. So I think uh, with the, uh, you know, Brent Keeb would be in the O-line coach, Coach Norton coaching the receivers. There's a lot of good things going on coaching-wise in the program. Mm-hmm. So I'm just really looking forward to what that can do with the current talent. So, um, you know, Coach Johnson, I think, his recruits weren't always your five-star, four-star guys, but they were guys that worked hard, that knew how to move within his system. So to really see that adaptation into, quote-unquote, a pro-style offense and more geared towards a pro-style offense, um, excited to see what they can do with, the, you know, the combination of coaching and current talent. So I'm putting it at, you know, eight wins might be aggressive, you know, you know maybe seven, but I'm, I'm saying eight and four, you know, seven and five kind of year. Honestly, I mean, I would say I think that the talent is mostly there. I mean, yeah, there's yeah, on both there. sides of the ball. There's there's really good football players at a lot of positions, and um, I think the coaching, to some degree, is probably going to take a step up here yeah, um, at, at a lot of spots on the field. So, I think maybe what I'm most curious to see is like, you know, what do they look like week two against USF versus what do they look like week ten, week eleven against you know Virginia Tech against an NC State that kind of thing. Right. You know, can you make a jump over the first you know the couple you know two and a half months of the season? I, I think that'll be pretty telling. Um, pending injuries or something you can't really predict there. So who's to say? For sure. I'm going to say, I'm going to say too, I think frequently um, people overrate coaching scheme changes quite a bit. Like if you're a good football player, you're going to be a good football player in multiple schemes, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, from, so from an option offense standpoint, I get, I get the discussion about, okay, we need bigger offensive linemen or we need offensive linemen that are, are better pass protectors than, you know, zone blockers right for example but other than that like if you're a good football player you're going to figure it out um in one in one scheme or another and if you're not you're not going to see the field and that's just the way that it is at division one level when you've got players that are that talented um across the board i mean i i think that you know scheme and scheme changes are frequently overrated i think if a quarterback can pick up the system and you know short of the offensive line like being a little bit a little bit different like you need bigger guys or guys who are a little different skill set. 
I, I think for the rest of the field, um, you can pretty much plug and play for the most part. Um, so I, I think that's overrated quite a bit. And because of that, I do think Georgia Tech can definitely get to seven or eight wins this year. I think it's definitely on the tip. Absolutely. Watch out for Jair Anderson, too. I w- would hate to do this without giving him some kind of notification. Went to my high school, seen him work, worked out with him a couple times. Dad, Willie Anderson, all pro tackle, you know, incredible guy. Watch out for him this year. The kid's a hard worker, playing receiver, in an offense more suited for him, I think. So watch out for that name. I want to say that for sure. I was going to say a guy who's, who's a little more of a burner and who he'll be asked to be who last he'll be asked to block a little bit less than he was before and be right. asked to get get open and you know showcase that speed a little more. So yeah, I'd, he's an interesting name that I hadn't I hadn't heard a ton about, but that's a good point that he's a guy who could really shine in this new scheme for sure. Absolutely, I'm, I'm I've got my eye on him in spring. I can't wait to get to spring two way spring practice. I'm coming to Atlanta uh, this coming weekend, so I'll try and get around him. You know, find out how things are going for him leading into spring. So yeah, just watch out for him as well. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, we'd love to have you back on to kind of hear a little bit about what you saw from spring practice. And I, I think a lot of people are re- really all around the country are really curious to see what is uh, what is post option Georgia Tech look like here year one. You know, so yes. uh, any sort of updates you can provide would be uh, would be great. More than happy, man. More than happy. Awesome. Well, Denzel, it's been great having you on. Really appreciate you joining us. You've given a lot of great insights. Been a lot of fun. Um, we'd love to have you on back uh, again sometime. We're, uh, you want to go ahead and tell the people where they can find you on Twitter and on the internet in general? Yeah, absolutely. On Twitter, uh, at Cole Hondon 91 switched to the business world, switched up to the, <laughs> the ad name. So um, find me there on Twitter. I'm on Facebook as well. I'm one of the uh, 2% of Americans or people in the world that don't have an Instagram, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the best place to keep up with me and what I'm doing. So uh, yes, that's where you can find me guys. Fight the, fight the power. Absolutely, man. And go jackets. <laughs> <laughs> go jackets. Well, thanks again for joining us. We'll have to have you on again soon. Um, that's that's Denzel McCoy. He's been a lot of fun. Again, go find him on Twitter at Colhan Don. Um, that'll be uh, that'll be where you go find him. He's got a lot of a lot of good mixed content there, football and otherwise. So go find yeah. him. <laughs> I try to keep it vibrant. So. There you go. All right, Mike. Well, we gotta we gotta roll here. Uh, I am still jet lagged and tired, and my body clock is a mess. Um, so we'll we'll have to work on that, but. We're going to come back sometime soon and hit on some more news updates as we do have spring practices starting and all that. So uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FGRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you go find Denzel at Cole Handan on Twitter, uh, not on Instagram. Keep that in mind. You, you won't find him there. Rare. Uh, yeah. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. Uh, and you can also send us your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address, known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yes. And uh, Keith, Derek, you nailed it. You got us uh, your question in this time. So again, as we're trying to generate some off, off season content, hit us up basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. That'll be a, a good way to reach us and get your questions. And we can uh, talk about those. Uh, Mike, you want to tell us where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Please do. Please do hit that like button. That helps us. And then uh, also go find us on YouTube. You can find videos and, uh, you know, see how we uh, how we do this and and uh, kind of watch as these things go on. If you want, you know, it's your your call. Join in the discussion. Um, please hit the subscribe button. We don't have like a fancy URL or anything there. But if uh, if you guys enough of you guys hit the subscribe button, we will. So uh, please do that. Um, other than that, uh, Mike, Denzel, you all want to come back and talk about some uh, some stuff at a later date? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Please, we'd be happy to. Making very uh, specific promises here. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on, Denzel. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks again, Denzel. We'll have you on sometime soon. Uh, Mike, we'll come back soon, talk about some more stuff. And uh, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, Mr. Denzel McCoy, I'm Joey Weaver. Thanks, guys, for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Oh, yeah.